thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. First reading is Psalm 91. Whoever dwells on the shadow, shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone and will tread in the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, from the, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the this is the Gospel of Christ. Thanks, Morning, everyone. Uh, and to those of you whom I haven't already said it, Happy New Year. Um, just a reminder that there are printed copies of the sermon at the back of the church for any of you that are a bit hard of hearing or for whom English is not your first language. I wonder how you feel about what might lie ahead in 2024. The war in Ukraine is ongoing with no end in sight. The loss and lives and the scenes of destruction in Gaza following the horrific raid by Hamas continues, and there's political unrest in many countries. And the planet continues to suffer from the effects of climate change. No, not a hopeful picture. And then there are concerns that are personal to us, maybe around health or family or the cost of living, or maybe how things are changing in the church. There's a lot of uncertainty. And that's why it's a good time to pause and reflect 
what it means to live as the people of God in these unsettled times. As Zane said, we're starting this new series, Under the Shadow of His Wings. And this morning, we're going to begin by looking at Psalm 91. Um, I'd love to be able to go into the, the John, reading John's Gospel about how Jesus fulfills some of those things as the Good Shepherd, but unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to do that. But think about this, you know, that there is that changeover. God is our protector, but Jesus is our Good Shepherd also. Let's pray first of all. Lord, please show us the truths you want us to learn. Speak to our hearts. Assure us of your loving care. And help us to respond by placing all our trust in you. Amen. Now, it really, really would help if you have Psalm 91 open in front of you. We do have Bibles in our pews, so I would suggest that... You get them out and turn to page, uh, I forgot what page it is now, but um, have a look on Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a very personal prayer. The psalmist makes a personal statement of his trust in God's protection in the midst of a variety of dangers. And he encourages each one of his readers to do the same. And the psalm ends with God promising to honour that trust and be our rescuer. I haven't got a slide for you this morning, but what we're going to do is to look first of all at who is God, our protector? How does he protect us? And then I've got a little thing that says, but if not. And then lastly, who does God promise to protect? So who is God, our protector? So verses 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So in these verses, the psalmist tells us that God is the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and my God. So let's look at those names a little. We first come across God as the Most High, El Elyon, in Genesis 14. So it's a very ancient and widespread way of addressing God. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, greets Abraham with these words. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Now at that time, and for a long time after that, it was common to accept a whole pantheon of gods. They're often associated with particular cities or tribes. You think of the gods of Egypt, of Babylon, Greece, and Rome. So what Melchizedek is saying is the Most High is more powerful than any other god of any other people. And the reason why he's the supreme god is because he is the creator. And this is where the biblical account begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, our Western mindset tries to ignore God, so we need to keep on counteracting that by affirming that creation, the world around us, and we ourselves, the whole of what has been, what is, and what is to come, everything, owes its existence to our God, the one who is the most high. There was a theologian called Eugene Boring who said, 
The question for contemporary culture is this. Who, if anyone, rules the world? And, of course, modern people will give you various answers to that. But his answer was, the universe is not a chaos, nor is it ruled by blind chance. Someone is in charge. And he is the almighty, the all-powerful one. Our God is an awesome God. And then in verse 3, the psalmist describes God as the Lord. Now, those of you that have your Bibles open, can you tell me what's unusual about the word Lord? It's all in capital letters, yes. Why is it all in capital letters? Anybody know? Yes. Can you, would you like to say a bit more, uh, Gary? That's right. Yeah. Every time you see the Lord in capital letters, it stands for what we might call YHWH, Yahweh. Okay? Um, the name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus when he said, I am who I am, or simply, I am. The one self-existent being. So that one self-existing being has now entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. He's no longer a distant almighty creator. He's a covenant God that enters into a relation with his people. So remember that every time you see L-O-R-D in capital letters, that's who it means. It means Yahweh. It's this special God that has this special relationship with his Old Testament people and, of course, with us as New Testament people. I will be their God and they will be my people he says in Exodus chapter 6. And that's why the psalmist can go on to say, he is my God in whom I trust. And it's because of who he is that God can be our protector. So if you look at those verses, God is a shelter, he's a shadow, he's a refuge and a fortress. And Golden Gate notes that it's not that God provides a place of protection, but that he is himself that place. He is the shelter. He is the hiding place from any attackers. His shadow protects his people from the punishing heat of the sun. He is a refuge, a protection from surging floodwaters that overwhelm everything in their path just as an invading army carves a path of death and destruction through the countryside. And then in times of danger, Yahweh is a fortress, a walled city, a place of safety. Now all these are actual dangers that the psalmist or his fellow Israelites might face. After all, Israel was surrounded by warlike neighbors such as the Philistines and powerful empires. And then when danger strikes, the psalmist turns to Yahweh rather than any other god to protect him. And then he turns to his listeners or his readers and said, this is what he's done for me. Surely he will save you also. So how does God protect us? In verses 3 to 13, the psalmist uses a whole host of ways 
in which God acts as our protector. And these are all very personal assurance of protection. The you in these verses is singular. They're addressed to us as individuals, not you generally out there, somebody out there. It's you he's talking to. He's sharing one-on-one -on -one and encouraging his fellow believers. He's saying, I know at times you feel weak and under pressure, like a bird or an animal trying to escape the foulest trap, or vulnerable, like someone facing a deadly pestilence which they cannot see. We all found out about that during COVID, didn't we? We are like baby chicks, seeking safety under the wings of a mother hen. We cannot save ourselves. Instead, it is God's faithfulness, his truthfulness, his steadfastness that will be our protection. If you look in, your, at the, uh, in the Psalms, it says, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. We don't actually know what this word body shield means, Nobody's quite sure what the psalmist had in mind there, but you get the idea. No part of you is left exposed to the enemy. And the psalmist probably continues to have a military attack in mind when he assures his listeners that he needn't be afraid of the arrows that fly by day or the terror of the night. Maybe the threat of a night attack, which is scarier and far harder to deal with than a to attack during the day. The day and night, the Lord is your protection, he says. And then he picks up the idea of the pestilence or epidemic, a plague that can strike unseen by day or night. And it's not merely picture language. These are actual things that can happen because epidemics and disease often follow acts of war or destruction. One commentator describes this passage, these few verses between 3 and um, get out here. Three and, 30, 3 and 13, he describes them as a comprehensive insurance policy. We can take these troubles in a literal way, as the psalmist probably did, or in a metaphorical sense, always representing some sort of a spiritual attack. They are, in effect, a list of things people fear. And the psalmist tells us that there is nothing God's people need to fear. Michael Wilcock, writing on this, he says, there are no exclusions in this insurance policy. There's nothing hidden away in the small print. This is the protection that we have from our God. And the psalmist continues to assure his listeners that they are completely safe. No harm will come anywhere near them, even when people are falling like flies on either side of them. But it will not come near you, he says. Probably he has in mind the time of that great deliverance story in the Old Testament, the Exodus, when the people of Israel were protected from the plagues that affected the Egyptians. Spurgeon tells of the way in which the Lord spoke to him through this verse. In 1854, there was an outbreak of cholera in the area of London that he was ministering to. And almost every day, he was called to visit a grave or a family where someone was sick. He became weary in body 
and sick at heart. So much so that he feared here himself was getting sick and he was ready to give up. And then, when he was going home one day, he passed a shoemaker's shop. And there in the window was a text. Not what you'd expect to see in a shoemaker's shop, is it? But there was. And this was the text. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. And the effect on him was immediate. He felt secure and refreshed, and he was able to carry on visiting the sick in a calm and peaceful spirit. Trusting God to be our protector frees us from the fear which paralyzes us. How many times have you and I not spoken or done something because we were governed by fear? But instead of fear, we can have peace, as Spurgeon had. And sometimes God acts to protect us through his angels, verse 11, where he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And that reminds me of the time that the Syrian army surrounded Dothan. Some of you may know the story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha's young servant was terrified. So Elisha prayed that his eyes might be opened. And they were. And he saw the army of the Lord of hosts, chariots and horses of fire, protecting them. And in modern times, many missionaries, someone like John Patton, who was ministering in the islands, have stories of how they were not attacked because their attackers saw strong angelic beings around them, protecting them. These things are real things that happen in real life. They're not just stories. Angels are pretty powerful beings and they are commanded to protect God's people in all their ways. Spurgeon says, whether they repel demons, counteract spiritual plots, or even ward off the subtle physical forces of disease, we do not know. Perhaps one day we shall stand amazed at the multiple services which the unseen band have rendered to us. Sometimes we just don't know that the Lord is protecting us until afterwards when we can look back and say, oh, thank you, Lord. I know you were there. You were protecting me, even though I didn't know it at the time. So, so far, the psalmist has been declaring his trust in God, protect him and deliver him. But now in the last few verses of the psalm, God speaks. He affirms his commitment to the one who trusts in him. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These are strong promises of God that we can hold on to. But what if? As we look, look at these promises, I want to ask the question, but what if? 
There is no doubt that these promises reflect the psalmist's view that God's protection, deliverance, and salvation were for the here and now. <clears throat> Job, you remember, was rewarded for his patience with even more possessions than he had before. But what about the many believers in the millennia since this psalm was written who were not rescued, who did not live to enjoy a long life? What do we say to Christians in Ukraine or Gaza whose homes, schools, and hospitals have been destroyed and for whom not even their churches are safe places? What do we say about the more than 200 Christians who have been killed in Nigeria in the last three weeks alone? What if? What, what if? Well, on the one hand, we affirm our faith in the one who will create a new heavens and a new earth in which all wrongs will be put right and there will be no more crying or tears or pain. Death will be no more and we will be forever in the presence of the Lord. And I asked John if he could find a slide that we put up some years back. We may remember that some um, Egyptian Coptic Christians were murdered in Libya on the shores of the beach. They were beheaded. And somebody had done a picture of this. Not an actual photo, but a picture, a drawn picture, with men there and then pictures of their souls going up to heaven. And it was a very powerful picture, a very powerful message at the time. And we know we have that consolation. But in the meantime, we have the reassurance that Paul gives us when he writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when troubles come, we have the comfort of knowing Jesus, our Emmanuel, our Good Shepherd, will walk with us. So who does God protect? You know, Psalm 91 is a wonderful psalm of comfort and reassurance as we move into a new year. But there's one more essential lesson, I think, for us to learn from it. You see, its promises are for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And those Hebrew words mean to settle, to remain, to inhabit. The promises are for those who actively seek to be in God's presence, to remain there or abide there. Do you remember the words of David in the Psalm 84? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now for David, the temple 
was the place of God's mercy seat, of God's presence, the place where he met with his people. But for us, Jesus is the one through whom we have access into the presence of God at any time, anywhere. At last Wednesday's communion service, we were looking at ways in which we could be in God's presence all day long, as well as setting aside time just to be with him. He is our God. We are his people. I will protect him, says God, because he acknowledges me. I will rescue him because he loves me. Another way of putting that is, he has set his heart on me. God delivers us, not because we deserve it, but because with all our imperfections, we have set our hearts on following him. God is gracious, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we started off looking at how we might be feeling as we move into 2024, a year with many uncertainties. And in Psalm 91, the psalmist shares his faith with us. He encourages us to put ourselves into the hands of God, to trust him, to be our protector, our rescuer, and our deliverer. And above all things, to be those who seek to dwell in God's presence under the shadow of his wings. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, that was where I stopped. But when I was in bed, lying in bed this morning, and I turned things over in my mind, I felt God had one more word for me to say. And that was this. We dwell in God's presence, not for our sakes alone, because we are saved to serve. And he brought to my mind the, translation, the old translation of Daniel 11, 32. The people who know their God, who dwell in the presence of God, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So, hearing what Zane had to say this morning and looking forward to all the things that God may have in mind of us, may we be people who know their God, who trust in his provision and protection, and who do great exploits. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Music